It's Wednesday, April 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you. Hey, it's good to see you too, man. I'm missing the day-to-day that we normally uh, get to enjoy at the office. So, being able to connect like this, I think it's keeping us all uh, sane to at least a degree. Yes, to a degree. (laughs) Slightly less insane. Um, We got earnings season heating up. We're going to talk a little restaurant. We're going to talk a little social media. We're going to start, though, with Netflix, because Netflix added 16 million global subscribers in the first quarter. And... uh, I don't know. I wasn't surprised. Where I mean, I I wouldn't have you know picked that exact number, but the the fact that they added that many that's not a surprise. Well, I mean, to be clear, management didn't pick that number either, right? I mean, that was about double, I think, what they forecast. But they also didn't you know forecast uh, situation on the ground to be what it is today. So I mean, the sub numbers were terrific, uh, and and really that was strength in every in every geographic region in which they report. It was really encouraging from that perspective. I mean, this was a bit of a tale of two earnings reports, in that the user growth was tremendous. Obviously, uh, the financials a little bit less so. And they attribute some of that to currency effects. And of course, as Netflix becomes more of a global business, currency effects will play out on the business. But I mean, you know, we we talk about this often. I mean, we view those currency effects through the long term lens as a net neutral. I mean, they fluctuate in the near term, and it's really difficult to try to account for them over the long term. If you look past it, I mean, the best businesses in the world are global in nature, right? And and so we're not going to hold that against Netflix. I mean, that's ultimately a good thing. But I mean, it is something to at least take into consideration. Growing your subscribers by that much, and still the financials not necessarily reflecting that growth. Um, and then, furthermore, obviously, with with conditions on the ground the way they are, production is shut down, which made their cash flow number look a little bit better because they're not doling out as much in the in this in the near term on content. But you know, all of this put together, I think what you can what you can say is that they pulled a lot of future growth forward into this quarter. And going forward, I mean, I can see a world where the numbers aren't as robust, certainly on the subscriber side. Uh, and, and then they're going to restart that content engine. So those cash flow numbers will normalize. Uh, then it's just kind of back to business as usual and trying to figure okay, is this a business that at some point or another will they be able to get to that sustainable, positive free cash flow number? I, I think yes, they will. I, I just think it's going to take a while to get there. Uh, but all in all, I mean, listen. This is, I mean, they're doing the same thing they've always done: putting out a lot of content and getting a lot of people to sign up for it, and that's good. Yeah, I think management said there are only two countries where they have not shut down production, and those countries are Korea and Iceland. And no disrespect, huge to Korea markets, and right? Iceland, but that. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're gonna they're gonna need to start that up at some point. Now that being said, I think they've got enough original content in the pipeline to get them through 2020 and deep into 2021. And I think that's encouraging if you're a shareholder because that's different from what we've seen out of, say, for example, the movie studios where they're they're pushing their slate back later this year and into 2021 and even in some cases 2022. So the fact that Netflix has got that pipeline filled for the next 12 to 18 months, that's good news. Yeah, I mean it's not like this content is is not going to materialize. It will materialize. It's a little bit delayed, but I, you know, I think this goes back to 
one of the big advantages that Netflix has. And you know, it, it doesn't have this library of of all compelling content, right? They they just they 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 have a library that accounts for really a broad cross section of the world. They have a little bit of something for everyone. And and when I say a little bit, that really is I mean that's a lot of bit, right? I mean that's Netflix library is just huge. And so even when you see content rolling off the platform, they're bringing new content onto the platform. And and I think that right now particularly it's it's an extremely important value proposition to communicate, right? It's not an expensive service for what you're getting, right? The value proposition I think is really strong. And and so with these new subscribers that they brought in, I think this is going to be an opportunity for them to really demonstrate the staying power that the platform has. I don't know that I'd really worry about um the pricing power dynamic today. I mean, I think that's really the bigger question that a lot of us have is over time, how much will they be able to raise those prices? I mean, that's that is going to be particularly sensitive right now, right? And probably over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. But they don't have to worry about that right now because they have such a broad library of content. So they're going to be able to get through this over the course of the next year, a year and a half. Um, and, and as you said, I mean, as things get back to normal, I mean, it's it's not like these deals went away. It's just it's just delayed. And so they're going to continue to bring out just a ton of content. I mean, Reed Hastings knows what he's doing, and, and he's got a great right hand man there in Ted Sarandos. Um, this really is the quintessential stay-at-home stock, I believe, and, and I mean, it's not—it's not surprising to see the market reacting to the stock the way it is today. Again, because the financials don't really follow uh, the subscriber ads, so to speak. But, but I think you know, this is the same business that we've been that we've been talking about all along, and um, and and they take that long-term focus to the business as well. So I, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, you look at um, Netflix stock, as you said, not doing much, as opposed to shares of Chipotle, <laughs> which are up somewhere in the neighborhood of 10%, because Chipotle's same-store sales in the first quarter were up 3.3%. Now, you think back to February and the numbers they were putting up there, that that's obviously carrying the weight here. But the fact that they had positive comps at all in this environment is amazing, and uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that digital sales are really leading the way here. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the way the business performed over the quarter through the end of February, comps were actually up fourteen point four percent, and that was with ten point seven percent transaction growth. Um, now, comp sales during March—I mean, that's really what dragged the performance down for the quarter. Comp sales in March, of course, were were negative 16%. And that makes sense, right? I mean, everybody's kind of dealing with the same situation here. But you know, when you look at at Chipotle and and what uh, CEO Brian Nichol has done to this business since he took over, I mean, I really I'm not surprised to see the stock performing the way it is today for a number of reasons. But this is I mean, I think they're really set up to succeed in this environment thanks to its casual nature and the early investments that they've made in technology. And as a consumer, I mean, we've used Chipotle here and there to to feed our family over the last several weeks. And as a consumer, it's just a breeze. I mean, you order on the app, you drive in, and you pick it right up, or you can have it delivered. I mean, they now have this delivery uh, relationship with Uber Eats, which is is certainly helping. So this is kind of like a Domino's pizza in the sense that they're really doing an excellent job of leveraging that physical store footprint to maximize sales. And then you have to assume that when things get back to normal. 
they'll still have all of that skill set along with this large footprint of storage that's going to be able to handle that dine-in traffic as well. So, I, this is certainly one of the restaurant companies that's that's set up in a in a really good spot in a market where most restaurants are really feeling a lot of pain. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see with this fast uh, fast casual space. I'm thinking Chipotle, Panera, and others. Um, what the layout of the restaurants looks like um, once they get to the point where they start building new restaurants. Because it's it's not hard for me to imagine Chipotle leading the way in the sense that they say, you know what, dine-in is not as important to us as the throughput is. And so, we're going to start constructing um, bigger kitchens, but smaller capacity for dine-in. Yeah, I think that's a that's a reasonable assumption. I mean, when you look at the the business today, they have around 2600 restaurants. They only have about 100 of those that are temporarily temporarily closed. And those are restaurants that are in in like malls or or shopping centers. Um but for the most part, I mean, the, the restaurants are open. Um and and you're right. I mean, the digital sales number, I mean, that the digital sales for the quarter grew 80%, accounted for 26.3% of sales for the quarter. But if you look at March, those digital sales grew almost 103% and actually accounted for better than 37% of the sales. And so you could certainly see that as conditions on the ground got more difficult, their performance actually improved on that digital side. That makes a lot of sense. And when you couple that with the fact that they now have 11.5 million enrolled rewards members, I mean, that rewards program that they've rolled out has really, really been a nice catalyst for the business. And it's giving them not only a lot of data to work with, it's actually bringing a lot of new customers in to the stores. And so we were talking about that years back when they were dealing with that that health crisis, right? The, the, the food health scare. It was not only trying to get those those loyal customers like us back in the stores, but how are they going to convince new customers to come try it? And I think they've done a very good job with that rewards program in enticing new customers to come try it. And you know, I think another catalyst behind the way the market is reacting to the stock today is a lot of restaurants right now are facing a a liquidity crisis, right? The the cash that that they need. To fund employees to keep stores open and whatnot. I mean, Chipotle is in a position right now; they don't have to worry about that like at all. I mean, their balance sheet is is in really great shape. Um, their ongoing cash burn number is is very minimal when you put it in the context of the digital and the delivery business that they're doing, and so they've got a year, a year and a half where there's not going to be a liquidity question for this business at all. And you have to assume in a year and a year and a half. We're going to be at least back to some semblance of normal, and so it kind of goes back to that old saying: you know, when when crises like these occur, for investors, look to the strongest companies in the space because they're the ones that typically come out stronger. The signs are all pointing towards Chipotle coming out of this a lot stronger after everything is said and done. And if you're a shareholder, you got to feel really good about that. The stock of the day, it could be Chipotle, but it's not. It's Snap. <laughs> because Snap's first quarter report, put aside the fact that Snap was not profitable in the first quarter, this quarter was pretty much everything you would want if you're a shareholder. Daily active users were up, revenue per user was up. Overall revenue was 44% higher than a year ago. And Jason, when we were, we've been talking about, well, what are the businesses 
that benefit from everyone staying at home. You talk about Netflix being the quintessential stock. I didn't have Snap on that list. I didn't think of Snap as being a business that would benefit from this environment, and clearly it is. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I tell you, given the state of things, I thought this was a really encouraging quarter. And, and I mean, remember last quarter, we were talking about that report. And it to me, it, it seemed like a really encouraging quarter last go around. And the market punished the stock, right? I mean, it was up towards $19 a share and in, in, in shares tanked on what really looked like a pretty good earnings report. Uh, this, I, I think, is another good earnings report. So, they strung two consecutive positive reports together. I mean, maybe this is the beginning of a trend for them. Um, and, and when you look at you know this fall off in ad spending, and no business is immune to it, and certainly Snap is not immune to it either. But I, it's interesting, you know, because on the one hand, Snap's not as big of a platform as something like Facebook or Instagram. But but with that, while they don't have that same reach, they also don't have quite the same customer demographic, right? They're not relying on all of these small businesses that are having such a tough time right now, and they they rely, I think, typically on these bigger businesses, these these big brand ad campaigns. I mean, they do have small businesses on their platform. But but it's not something like a Facebook or an Instagram would rely on. So they're a little bit more immune to, to some of that drop off than some of these other social platforms. And it seems like they've they've done a good job on the content side in becoming a source of information for people dealing with the COVID nineteen crisis. Right, their user base is looking to Snapchat as a source of information, not only entertainment, but information. And I think that's really important. And so, I think we're going to see with all of these social media companies, Facebook and Twitter, Snap, uh, they're going to see strong user numbers. I think engagement's going to be up all, all across the board because they're, they're just sources of information. I think we're going to see a disparity there. Like we saw with Netflix, you're going to see a disparity. Maybe the, the ad revenue is not necessarily lining up with the growth in users, but really, that's okay. That will come back in time. So then it's just a matter for me with Snap. I have the two questions I have for, for this business longer term are will users continue to age out of this platform? Because it does seem like beyond 35 years old, they're having a really hard time getting folks like us. To use the platform, right? It's not really a platform for for us older older folks. And then also the other question is the next generation of prospective users are they going to be going on to Snapchat or is there going to be some type of a competitor out there that's taking traffic away, something like a TikTok or something like that? Um, it, this this report doesn't make me want to own Snap stock. I mean, I think it's a wonderful report, and I think the market is reacting appropriately. Uh, they still have a lot of challenges. I mean, they need to get that stock-based compensation number down. I mean, it's still 38% of revenue. Um, but I, it was definitely a positive quarter. They brought on uh, Peter Naylor, who's a former ad exec with Hulu, to, to help build out their ad business. And, and so, I think they're making some good moves. Uh, not out of the woods yet. Still not profitable. Need to work on that cash flow number. Need to get that stock-based compensation down. But but again, I think this was the second consecutive positive report for them, and so that certainly is encouraging. Well, and the stock up thirty percent today. Um, yes, it's da- you know it's trading just north of sixteen dollars a share, so still down from its high. But you know over the past year, it's up in the neighborhood of forty um, percent. I'm sort of like you. Um, I, I have the same questions about Snap. Um, how will they be able to bring in sort of the next generation 
Um, it's, it's not to say they can't do it, um, but I just sort of look at it and, and think more along the lines of like, ooh, maybe I should have picked up a couple of shares, you know, a, a year and a half ago when it got knocked down. Because like, for a long time, I, I don't think either one of us has been extremely bullish on Snap as a business. But you know, you go back to the end of 2018, and it was like it was below five dollars a share. And I remember you and I were like, "Well, that seems low. Like even for Snap, that seems low." Yeah, I mean, it is low when you consider. You know, any type of a platform that's generating hundreds of millions of users on a daily basis. I mean, there is somewhat of a competitive advantage there in the size of your user base. But like fashion, I mean, you do see these social platforms, uh, particularly the niche ones, they could be a little fleeting. And, and it does depend, at least in part, on innovating and becoming something more like I think for Snap, the business to really take it to the next level. They've got to become something more than just Snapchat, right? And you know, they're trying things like with spectacles and whatnot. I mean, you know, I listen, I I run the augmented service uh, augmented reality service here at the Fool. So I mean, I I really want to like Snapchat or Snap. I mean, I, there's there's an interest there when you read through a call and you hear the mentions of augmented reality and immersive technology and how that's affecting the ad market and how Snap is making investments in that space. I I think they're skating to where the puck is going in that regard. But they do have to become something more. And I just don't know what that's going to be. And so, you know, in the context of other opportunities out there, again, it's this isn't the type of quarter that makes me want to own Snap shares anymore. I just feel like there are better businesses out there. But by the same token, it, it does seem like they they perhaps have turned a corner here and are starting to figure some things out. Jason Moser, thanks for being here, man. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.